Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR Digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast. We've got lots of things to talk to you. We're actually, we're reacquainting ourselves with uh, a couple of people we haven't heard for a while. Uh, Don Sutherland is going to be on at eight. He's just come back from Cuba, but he's going to be talking about, he's a serious individual, serious insect. Uh, he's going to talk wages, what uh, the negotiation for wages, which is a very important issue for all workers in Australia. The uh, probably around the world, I'd say, suggest. And uh, after that, we're talking to Humphrey McQueen. And uh, if you didn't know anything about, uh, 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 it's just great because what we're going to talk about today is historical materialism versus philosophical uh, idealism. All right. Yes, they're big. They're like furniture. But uh, Humphrey always takes our hands and takes us very carefully through very important things to know about. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to such a juicy piece of uh, interaction with a big brain from the left. And that, of course, is going to be after 8.30. But before we get any further, we have to uh, show, express uh, our... Um, Sadness of the passing of a true uh, hero of the industrial class fight. And we have to tell you that Zelda DiPrano died. You probably are already aware of this. Zelda DiPrano, a true hero, passed away on Wednesday at the age of 90. She was a staunch feminist, labour unionist and pay justice advocate. She applied magnificent intelligence and direct action in order to bring forward the notion that women should be treated equally when it comes to their pay. Uh, She uh, was... uh, she was very, very good at uh, raising profiles. So in 1969, she famously secured herself to the doors of the Commonwealth Building in Melbourne to protest the dismissal in the arbitration court of the equal pay case, uh, of which she was a test case with the Australasian Meat Industry Employees Union, the AMIEU. Uh, and uh, it's really interesting. It's it's quoted that uh, when she was uh, being taken away by a police officer, a police officer said that uh, said to him apparent to her apparently, "Aren't you embarrassed? It's just you on your own." He said, without hesitating, she replied, 
No, because soon there will be three. Then there will be five. Then there will be... And then she was right. Ten days after her protest, she was joined by three others, or two others, uh, and uh, it... Uh, the three women founded the Women's Action Committee and the Women's Liberation Centre, from which the Women's Liberation Movement in Melbourne was born. Now, Zelda uh, was a woman who left school at 14 and worked in factories and also in as a clerical staff in uh, unions. The unions themselves at the time weren't that uh, open to uh, her radicalism in adverted comments, that women should be treated equally when it came to pay. Um, she was fired for being too loud and too bolty in the union movement. So the union movement has come a long way, just as society needs to come further. Now, there was a fantastic... Um, a fantastic uh, uh, well, it's not an obituary. It was a celebration, really, in The Guardian, uh, written by Lena van der Veen, uh, who Devinda, who was one of the people that uh, uh, Zelda de Prano uh, mentored, because that's what she did in her later life. She uh, didn't just sit around. Um, and this is one of the things uh, Lena said in that article. The legislation Zelda fought for has been all but eroded. The Equal Pay Act of 1972 has been aggressively watered down to become the Fair Work Act. If we had sound effects, we'd go, and no longer even mentions pay equity, gender discrimination or equal pay. We allowed ourselves to be the frogs in the hot water. Zelda noticed, and I'm heartbroken, she couldn't stay long enough to see us fix it. But fix it, we will. And uh, in, 19, in 2015, the Victorian Trades Hall Council introduced the Zelda de Prano Award for Union Activism. And in a bittersweet coincidence, the nominations for the 2018 award opened on the very day she passed away. The flag at Trades Hall was lowered to half-mast in her honour. Vale Zelda de Prano. Put your hat on, honey. You can ask Mimi to come and sing Bread and Roses with me. As we go marching, marching in the beauty of the day, a million darkened kitchens, a thousand mill lofts gray, are touched with all the radiance that a sudden sun discloses. For the people hear us singing, bread and roses, bread and roses. As we go marching, marching, we battle to for men. For they are women's children, and we mother them again. Our life shall not be sweated from birth until life closes. Hearts starve as well as bodies. Give us bread, but give us roses. As we go
go marching, marching, unnumbered women dead. Go crying through our singing, their ancient call for bread. Small art and love and beauty, their drudging spirits new. Yes, it is red we fight for, but we fight for roses too. As we go marching, marching, we bring the greater days. The rising of the women means the rising of the race. No more the drudge and idler tend that toil where one reposes. But a sharing of life's glories, bread and roses, bread and You're on 3CR with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. And uh, to remind you that uh, International Working Women's Day, they like to call it International Women's Day, but in actual fact, when it began, it was actually called International Working Women's Day. And, uh, and of course, unpaid work is work as well, you know. Uh, it uh, is being celebrated on March the 8th and uh, at 3CR we celebrate it with gusto and all programming is devoted to uh, celebration of women and uh, what we do in order to make a better world. And in the studio we have Jodie Prescott from uh, Victorian Trades Hall. She's actually from the uh, Victorian Women's Unit there and uh, they're going to have a program of events, and it's called Raw, isn't it, Jodie? Yes, Raw Fest is on us again. Yes. So, so the Women's Rights at Work Festival happens at the same time every year. Yeah, okay. And uh, the uh, tell us more about what the program is, because I know you've got a big event on, uh, and it's been an ongoing thing that's been going. It's about the fourth year, third year, fourth year for feminism in the pub. Yes. And that's a centrepiece, isn't it? And that, but that's going to be on March the 7th. Yes. So this is the third year we've run Raw Fest um, and it gets bigger and bigger each year. Uh, and the theme this year is change the rules because as everybody knows, the rules are broken and women need to uh, change them for ourselves as well. So this year we have a, a massive program and Feminism in the Pub is indeed one of our key events. Uh, the theme for Feminism in the Pub this year is Beyond the Me Too program, uh, Beyond the Me Too movement. So we're looking at how we can collectivise um, the Me Too movement and turn it into real action so we can get some real change on the ground. And that is on uh, Wednesday the 7th at 6.30 at the Clyde Hotel. Mm. Where's Clyde? Um, it's in Carlton yep. um, on Cardigan Street. So mm-hmm. it's quite central uh, for those that work in the city or those who are, might be visiting their union on the day because lots of union officers are around there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the well, let's uh, talk about the uh, Me Too campaign. Uh, obviously, Me Too has been uh, – p- uh, it's about uh, – uh, well uh, – mozzing people sexually in their workplace, which yeah. is – and uh, surveys have shown that uh, women are predominantly the targets. Yeah, absolutely. So the Me Too um, movement kicked off uh, when big uh, uh, famous women in the industry, the entertainment industry, came forward and told their stories of sexual harassment, which we all know has been going on forever <laughs> um, and continues to happen. Well, the casting couch did. There was a reason for it. 
Yes, yes. Um, and so, yeah, and we know that it still happens today and, and it's rife still. Um, and at Trade Hall, we have a whole program around um, sexual harassment and gendered violence at work. Um, and we want to talk about how we can um, go beyond the, the stories and the, the famous, uh, you know, the big profile people coming out and the big, you know, it all happens on social media and in the media. But how can we go beyond that and actually change our workplaces to make them safer for women? Which is, uh, it, it, it's uh, one of those things where after a time, the predominant uh, promotional activities start to try and water down the effects of the original uh, disclosures that uh, cause change to or to threaten to happen. Yeah. Uh, where slowly but surely it, it gets diluted into this sort of thing like one would be, uh, oh, women, uh, they're just not tough enough. They should be, uh, you know... Uh, standing up for themselves. I, it wouldn't happen to me because I know what I'm. I, I'm a toughie, and I know Absolutely. what. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it individualizes the problem, and, and often it can like make it quite a. We, you get a quite a superficial response, but also, like you're saying, you get um, the burden of of action falls on the person who's experiencing the sexual harassment rather than you know the collective uh, workplace and larger society. So absolutely, which normalizes it. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's very funny because. Uh, uh, you know, the words are words, but uh, someone was telling me to uh, yesterday, last night, that uh, one of her mates at school, in, at college, she got, she thought, oh great, I've got this job. It's just down the road from me, and it's in a antique shop, and it's run by a fellow who happens to be, you know, he's, he's in his seventies. She's a young girl, a young woman, and uh, at the end of the day, he starts to try and. Um, uh, crack onto it. Basically, she's going to have a job if she complies. Now, the thing about it is, is that in this uh, landscape of uh, desperation, as it squeezes, people's wages are being squeezed, condition, conditions are being cut. This is one of the biggest issues of exploitation, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's compounded by the fact that women make up the majority of um, workers in insecure and precarious work. So it puts us even in an even more difficult position. And the research that we've done at Tradesall uh, through our raw chat process talking to Victorian working women, uh, we found that over uh, 64% reported having been harassed, bullied or assaulted at work. So experiencing some form of gendered violence, including sexual harassment, and that up to 19 had um, left a uh, workplace in order to escape yeah, the to violence avoid they're it. experiencing. Yeah, it, so avoidance. you know you've got women leaving potentially secure permanent jobs in order to try and keep themselves safe. Mm. And it's it's about and ultimately it's about mis, uh, misuse abuse of power. Absolutely, that's exactly what it is. So it's about the difference um, of power between men and women predominantly in society, but largely gender inequality, and, and it affects um, a whole range of people who are particularly vulnerable to this kind of um, behaviour at work, including LGBTQI workers. Now, as, as you said, the, that feminism in the pub, it's March the 7th, it's at the Clyde Hotel, 6.30. Who are the speakers? Yeah, so we have a lineup of great speakers. We have Lisa Darmanin, the Executive President of the ASU Vic Tasbrands. Uh, so she's she's been on feminism in the pub before and she's a fabulous uh, speaker and she will speak 
I'm sure, very um, strongly to this issue. Um, the other exciting panellist that we have is Roe Allen, who is the Victorian Commissioner for Gender and Sexuality. So it would be, this is Roe's first appearance on Feminism in the Pub. So it would be great to have her and um, listen to the perspective that she brings. And the final guest is uh, Sharon Davis, who is an actor and director in Melbourne and also a MIA member and a member of their equity committee who has been doing a lot of work around sexual harassment in that industry. Yeah, which is very interesting because uh, speaking to one of the uh, organisers from MIA, I hadn't actually considered this before because, of course, I don't work in that industry, but uh, what it uh, must be like to be sexually abused on stage while all the, everyone else is watching, thinking it's just part of the yeah. performance. Yeah, absolutely, while you're filming something and, you know, who knows how many people are watching you know, the ca- camera people, everyone's watching it happen and you, like, what do you do? And in that industry as well, massive problem of insecure work. So, again, those compounding factors um, and particular context there makes it, yeah, quite quite distressing to think about. Before we leave that particular event, how do people get uh, tickets to it? Yeah, so if you, you can uh, register, it's a free event. Um, so come along and hang out with us and have a beer and listen to some uh, lively discussion. But you can find all the details about how to register on unionwomen.org.au. So that's our website. Or you can visit our Facebook. Mm. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and we're talking to Jodie Prescott from Victorian Trades Hall. She's part of the crew that have uh, like spun straw to gold uh, with a, um, a variety of... Uh, um, events uh, for RAW, which is working... Women's rights at work. Wim- women's <laughs> rights at work. I don't know. I even wrote it down. Women's rights <laughs> at work. Maybe it's because it's such an alien idea. You know, talking about uh, Zelda DiPrano, uh, her intelligence and direct action uh, combination was fantastic. When she got on buses, she only paid 75% because that's all she was being paid. Yeah, that's one of my favourite <laughs> actions of hers as well, actually. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Can you imagine what the uh, trammy or bus driver must have thought? The argument he would have had to have with Zelda on the tram. I wouldn't have liked to argue with the wrong tram. Uh, and not only that, uh, the um, incredible level of uh, um, uh, effective uh, um, teaching she was actually involved in because everybody who was watching this, even if they were feeling uncomfortable, would have thought, oh, goodness, is that what it's about? Because when you're sitting on, uh, when someone you're obser- observing either an accident or a, a, a fight or something, you can't help yourself. You you want to go to the core. What's why are they fighting? Yeah, absolutely. It was like a, as an idea for a public to um, bring attention to the issue and um, you know as a direct action. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah she's such a clever person. Yeah. Such a clever person, and so um, focused and brave and right. <laughs> it always helps to be right. So what are the other events? You've got other events, haven't you? Yeah, so the festival runs from the 5th to the 9th of March. So we've got a whole week of events. Um, and I should also mention that the festival is put together by our raw crew. So this festival is put together by a group of activists, uh, both union officials, union um women members um, and also women in the community who aren't necessarily uh, union members. Um, So they've done a fabulous job and it's jam-packed. A couple of other highlights that we have uh, in the the program are on the – if I just – 
find my page. On Tuesday the 6th of March, uh, we have a day at the Commission. So that's a fabulous um, opportunity to go down to the Victorian Human Rights um, and Equal Opportunity Commission. And there will be a panel in the morning with the Commissioner herself, Kristen Hilton, and uh, talking about the Equal Opportunity Act and uh, how we can use it to uh, start addressing, better addressing sexual harassment at work. Oh, that's fantastic. So where's that going to be at? the? So it will be at the Commission, which at is on Ligon Street in Carlton. Uh, it's quite accessible. It's a fully accessible building, as it should be. That's So that panel is on from 11.30 till 12.30. Um, and then there's lunch, so you can hang around and chat to women and Christian herself. Um, and then in the afternoon, they're running a workshop from 2 to 5 p.m. on the Equal Opportunity Act and particularly in relation to sexual harassment at work. So you can register for that as well. That's only got 25 spots, so if you want to get along to that workshop, uh, register quickly. Now, this is very important, isn't it, because the the uh, rules are broken, uh, and I was talking to Sally McManus about this. Uh, she was saying uh, in a quick interview, I said, oh, yeah, it's all very well to point out the obvious, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> as we feel uncomfortable and squirm in our seats, but how, does, how do you affect change? And as she said, well, actually, it's all the people who are working mm-hmm. who have to stand up and yeah. actually do the fight because, you know, I can say something, I can be at the front if you want me to get my head uh, bashed in as I go forward, but actually I have to have a whole lot of people behind me uh, who are saying the same thing and uh, being able to go down to the commission and get a realistic understanding of how the system's operating, uh, a really clever piece of um, uh, event uh, organising, I'd say. Yeah, so obviously, you know, um, Equal Opportunity Act is how sexual harassment is uh, dealt with historically at work and we know that it doesn't give good outcomes. Women are often more traumatised through the process and continue to leave the workplace. So it'd be great to have some strong working women down there and strong union women um, as part of the discussion to talk about how we can more effectively use the Equal Opportunity Act, but also the industrial levers that we have or how we can change both sets of rules to make them more effective in addressing the problem. Yeah, because it's interesting. It's a very George Orwellian thing to label something as if, you know, like the Fair Work Act is a perfect example of you know, the Unfair Work Act, really. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, yeah, it, it's it, it's a constant battle. And uh, as uh, uh, the person was talking about Zelda uh, DiPrano, things will change because they have to change. Absolutely, and I think um, Raw Fest is a great opportunity to come uh, along to a bunch of events with other women and start to talk about how we're going to actually make that change happen. Yeah, yeah. What, and, and you've got a film night, I know. Yes, yeah, so there is a feminist fi- uh, film night which is being put on by um, the construction unions, so the CFMU, the ETU, RTBU, MUA and the TCFUA. Um, a lot of acronyms there. Lots of letters. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> we can corral them all and put them in a paddock. But if, if, that, if one of those uh, series of letters resonates with you and you're a member of one of those <laughs> unions, you should definitely get along to the film screening. That is on Tuesday the 6th um, in the evening, so from 5.45. Um, and so that's a great opportunity to hang out with a bunch of union women, um, see uh, some feminist film, and they also have a special guest speaker. Uh, down there that they will announce. So that's set to be a pretty pretty good evening. Do you know what the films are? Uh, yes. One of the films is um, Battle of the Sexes, about the battle for equal pay. Oh, I've seen that. It's very good. Yeah. I haven't. I have not had the opportunity to see well, it. Well, it, it's heard. a good it's, – um, it's well made and it's uh, really even-handed. It's, yeah. it's, it's re- and also illuminating because, uh, I mean, you, you're too young, but uh, if you were around when the headlines were being put forward and they always put it in a – 
a very salacious, you know, three, four word uh, line that sticks in your head. Uh, it's really nice to actually see uh, or get a, a sense of the characters that were involved. And the, uh, the personal bravery, you know, uh, all these stories, uh, uh, when somebody, ha- you know, th- something needs to change, uh, even if you're only a small cog in the wheel in that change, it's always about uh, personal bravery. Yeah, absolutely. And dedication and persistence. I mean, you know, these are things that women have been chipping away at for a long time and we continue to do it and we continue to be committed and it's always great to see stories that show that um, dedication. Yeah, that's right. And also it, uh, it, it brings head on uh, head to head this, uh, the business about Soko, like it's called. It's called The Battle of the Sexes. But actually there's a, a great line in that film where uh, Billie Jean King actually says, uh, actually it's not about, uh, don't you have a... A mother? Don't you have a sister? Don't you have a wife? Don't you, you know, whatever? Don't you know someone who's a woman? Why, why do you think it's about uh, putting women down? Yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's a, it, it, she was, she was obviously, a, or still is, a, a very insightful. Uh, person about society. Uh, you're on S- Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and we're talking to Jodie Prescott about RAW, that's uh, Women's Rights at Work. It's a festival, but actually it's something that happens all year round, isn't it, at Trades Hall? Absolutely. We never stop. It's, every day is RAW for us down at Trades Hall. <laughs> Do you go to the back corner and practice your roaring? Well, actually, it, like, you know, we are very attached to RAW. It was just a very happy coincidence that women's rights at work um, when you turn into an acronym, you do get raw. So I am woman, hear me raw. And it, we do, you know, like to, when we're feeling down, we do remind ourselves and there may be some roaring that happens in the <laughs> office. <laughs> That's really nice. Um, are there any other events that we should be focusing on? Yeah. So uh, obviously the big one is on Thursday, the 8th of March, the International Working Women's Day Rally. So that's kicking off at the State Library at 5.30 um, and the unions will be down there in force. We are meeting a little bit earlier so we can get our spot on the lawn. So we'll be meeting from 5.15 um, and we're meeting on the, you know, the big steps at the State Library where what if you're facing the library, the unions are meeting on the right-hand side of that, so on that right-hand grass. Isn't that, isn't that wrong? There's something wrong with I that. <laughs> we probably should have gone the other side. Although there have been plenty of right-wing unions. Well, you know, we just figure if we stand over there, you know, you've got know, the, know thy enemy. So, you know, if we stand there, we'll get us – no, it's. I don't think the position of where yeah. we stand will hopefully change our politics. But that's where we're going to meet. You'll see the flag. So definitely come down and march with the unions because um, it's always great to have a, a big – contingent and then once you've done all your marching on Thursday you can come and let your hair down on Friday the 9th at the gala so the gala is the big party that wraps up raw fest and it's going to be uh, fabulous this year we're holding it again at the Clyde Hotel um, because it's a such a great venue it is and it's so central and they're supporters Uh, yes yes absolutely and so um we have the wonderful and hilarious monica dullard as the mc for that evening and she's a very funny lady um and we've got feminist speed dating with emily's list there'll be dancing and finger food and guest speakers and it's always a massively fun night so you should definitely get down and come and uh dance the night away with the sisterhood Good on you. Thanks for coming in so early to tell us all about this. And now you have to say again uh, twice how people get uh, find out more information, you know, because we've told them the general view. But uh, if you want to be uh, more considered, tell them how to do that. 
Yes. So if you want to find out more information about any of the events throughout the week and to register for these events, you can visit unionwomen.org. That's unionwomen.org.au. Or you can visit our website and if you just, um, sorry, our Facebook page, if you just put into Facebook, Union Women will come up um, and you can see all the events there as well and all the information about how to register. Cool. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Hannah Smiley from WA. When I'm in Melbourne, I listen to 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. You can listen on your digital radio or stream it live and subscribe at 3cr.org.au. Has your subscription lapsed? We want you back. Spend more than the evening with us. Reunite with us. Subscribe to 3CR and get excited. Call 9419 8377 or donate online, 3cr.org.au. Let's get back together. It'll feel so good. You're on Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR with Annie and uh, we're going to move right along to having a chat with uh, Don Sutherland about wages. But before we do... Before we do, I want to tell you about uh, one of our um, an event that's going to be on on March the second, and it's at the uh, Dockland Library. Uh, that's one hundred and seven Victoria Harbour along the promenade. Yes, you may never have been down there. You can catch a tram uh, along Collins Street and it goes down to the water and then you turn to the left and you sort of move around a bit and you discover that there's a library there. And the reason why I'm telling you about this is because the orb weavers are going to be there. These wonderful uh, musicians, they actually did an ID for uh, 3CR and we play it and uh, they are great musicians. What they're, they're... They've done a a musical, uh, their latest musical uh, compositions are around uh, uh, the effects of industrialisation and such and human uh, activity on the waterways in uh, in our Melbourne environment. And it would be a lovely thing to go and uh, check out what they've got to say. It's on at uh, 6pm. Uh, it's, uh, as I said, new new work and investigations into the health of our water world. Uh, so we'll hear from them now uh, to give you some idea of why it'd be nice to go down to the Docklands Library and listen to them. If you want to know more about this, you can get a, a ticket from um, Eventbrite, but uh, go on to the Melbourne City Library uh, website and you'll find out more about this rather interesting cultural event. Rust red 
Hi, I'm Stuart. Hi, I'm Marita. We are the Orb Weavers, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital radio. And streaming at 3cr.org.au. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and as I promised, we've got Don Sutherland on the line. G'day, Don. How are you? I'm good, Annie. Thank you for having me again. Yes, and uh, you've just come back from Cuba. Yes, I've had uh, nearly three weeks in Cuba with a brief stopover on the way back in Toronto, and uh, it was a great experience for me uh, on a personal basis, but also in terms of some of the solidarity work that I do uh, with the uh, uh, the uh, cardiopediatric centre in uh, at the William Soler Hospital in Q- in uh, Havana. So uh, what you're saying is that uh, a group of you actually, uh, that's your focus in terms of uh, being effective in uh, that sort of space to uh, find financial support for that particular facility? Yes, well, there's a small group of us uh, ageing too quickly, unfortunately, in Sydney, who mainly in Sydney, who... Um, uh, raise funds that enable us to uh, engage in practical solidarity against the United States government's imperial blockade against Cuba. That blockade has the effect of either preventing or making it extremely expensive for the Cuban medical system, which is a world-renowned system, uh, to, but it makes it extremely difficult uh, for the Cubans to access uh, content, modern uh uh, equipment for operating on young children and in other other types of equipment that, that, uh, across the whole healthcare system. So we uh, we raise funds that uh, enable us to buy some of that equipment. And I visited the hospital to see just what was happening with uh, the equipment that uh, our fundraising has been able to do in solidarity against the blockade. 
Now, the uh, just before we move on to other issues, uh, the uh, Trump administration has now turned the clock back to blockade town. So what effects is that happening on a day-to-day basis? Well, two quick points. Firstly, the uh, Obama administration did make some very, very modest but nevertheless important uh, changes that loosened slightly the impact of the blockade. Uh, Trump has reversed those uh, positive developments and is now engaged in across the whole of uh, Latin America in, in a bellicose and dangerous uh, uh uh, reinstallation of American imperial power, including military power. And, for example, uh, very recently, the, the Secretary of State, uh, Tillerson, Rex Tillerson, was in Peru where he made a keynote speech uh, to, on his way through about four other countries besides Peru, in which he basically encouraged the Venezuelan uh, military mm. to enact a military coup against the uh, democratic election process that is underway in Venezuela, if not now, very shortly. Now, the effect of that is not just upon Venezuela directly, but its twofold purpose is firstly to ensure that Tillerson's uh, uh, oil uh, uh, mega-businesses, he was, of course, a major executive in Exxon, have control of hydrocarbon production from Alaska to Patagonia. And then secondly, by encouraging a coup, a military coup against a democratic government in uh, Venezuela, that means that a new level of hardship can be inflicted on the Cuban people. It's so, it's a very it's so disgraceful. That we in Australia don't know much about in a broad sense. There are, of course, some people who are very well informed and better informed than even I am. Uh, but uh, it was an opportunity for me to learn from the Cubans themselves, including uh, uh, workers in the street that I often talk with about how they understand exactly what's going on and they know that there is possibly going to be a, a, a return to a more intense period of hardship is intended to reverse the economic development that was visible to me uh, uh, relative to, say, seven years ago when I was last there. Oh, very interesting. Uh, so uh, the people in the street that you got to speak to were really quite aware. They're, they're alert. They're pol- polit- political beings. Yes, I was very... Uh, this is, That was no surprise to me. Uh, the Cuban population is generally very well informed about what the US empire is up to and uh, also is uh, relatively well aware compared to our standards about uh, the nature of solidarity that can be developed with other uh, uh, nations in uh, Latin America. Now, you did say uh, that um, despite there being not a lot of affluence, uh, some of the key things on any list are being covered, and that is uh, food, shelter, those types of things that uh, probably people in Australia could take a few lessons from. Yes. Um, I mean, I was only just there just under three weeks. But in my travels around through to um, Havana, of course, and then also into the countryside west of the city, uh, west of west of Havana, 
you don't see the destitute and utterly degraded impoverishment that you see in other parts of the Caribbean. And so although life is still still tough and difficult, it is improving and the standard of living is rising and uh, uh, perhaps not at the rate that that the Cuban government itself wants. But I saw, for example, in three major areas, distinct improvement relative to seven years ago. And even back then, I could see improvement relative to my previous visit. So, so what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What? Well, firstly, mm. firstly, the power supply is now stronger, more efficient, more effective. Not one single blackout. Mm, consistent. And certainly, uh, while I was there, uh, they were relatively uncommon in 2011 relative to my previous visit, but not sing- not a single one in terms of the general grid. And then, how do secondly, they how do they generate power, electricity? I was a, a number of means, but uh, including uh, there's a big shift underway to hydropower. Okay, uh, yeah. because they have because they have the environment in which they can do that. Mm. Um, there is they are make they have a specific plan that is intended to move to uh, uh, the removal of hydrocarbon-based power delivery over the next uh, 10 to 50 years, and uh, they're very conscious about that and working on that. The second big area I noticed was in regards to uh, distinct improvements in uh, some of the suburbs, well, all of the suburbs I visited, but not I didn't visit every single one, but all the suburbs I visited, you can see a distinct improvement in sewerage and sanitation systems, and uh, which, of course, takes a lot of new technology that is often has to be imported against the blockade. And then the final area that I was quite impressed with uh, was in the area of public transport. Uh, and uh, for those who've been to Cuba, uh, but not recently, will understand this point. The old, you know, sort of fuming uh, camaleros, as they call the uh, articulated public transport buses, are gone, and there are a lot of new two, three, one-year-old buses that are now transporting Cubans around around the city, both to and from work and so on. And uh, uh, but the Cubans themselves still. <laughs> express their dissatisfaction that it hasn't gone far enough. But Well, yeah, join the club. It's always the same. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a bit like um, yeah, <laughs> everybody. I had many great experiences. and uh, So they're the three big picture things I noticed. Internet, um, internet facilities are better, but, of course, uh, that is still constrained by the character of the blockade uh, and... Um, uh, but nevertheless, some improvement there, although not as perhaps as dramatic as uh, those other areas. I was able to use the internet effectively as a tourist, and uh, the price has come down a bit, although still a little bit more expensive uh, from our point of view. Although we Westerners who go to Cuba usually can afford um, the price as it currently stands. What's the inflation rate like there? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> you just lived. Thing, that's one thing I didn't try to check up on. Like, you know, <laughs> but everybody's cruising along. That's basically everyone's getting on with business. Yeah, like 
life continues to be a struggle. And of course, the daily thing is that there is a revolutionary process going on in this sense that happens every day. And that is that the most powerful nation in the history of humankind is determined to destroy Cuban life (laughs) and take it back, take it back to gross inequalities and exploitation of power and exploitation. Exactly. Yes. Disgraceful, so disgraceful the, history. They are struggling against that still every day. And what is impressive is the uh, the planned and thoughtful way they go about dealing with that, including dealing with any of the distortions or problems that arise from their own planning. I'll just uh, remind listeners that they're on 3CR and you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and we're talking to Don Sutherland and everyone knows that uh, knows Don Sutherland that he's a very focused individual and although it's thoroughly interesting to find out more about Cuba, you wanted to talk about uh, the upcoming wages uh, uh, battle, I guess it'd be called. Can you tell yes, us well, what you wanted to say? Yeah. Yes, I, yes, for sure. Um, the first thing I want to say, though, just on a personal basis, I want to join with everyone else in mourning the passing of Zelda Toprano. Yes, and I'm sure, sure you've all been talking about it um, in the in the few days since she died. Uh, I never met Zelda, but you felt as though you knew her. She was a wonderful champion of the working class and specifically of working women, and she set an example. In activism and thought mm. about how to build a strategy from from nothing. Yeah, that's right. And so when she chained herself to the doors of the Conciliation and Arbitration Commission as an individual, that act, that single act by a single woman, grew, and other women joined her very quickly, and then more women after that, and then their activity spread to the more empathetic parts of the male-dominated trade union movement, as it very much was in those days. And so her wonderful example over decades will be very missed and is an ins- has been an inspiration to so many of us over the years, and it will be into the future, I'm sure. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you look back at the history of her work life, uh, it, you know, uh, making money to survive... Uh, the unions, as you said, the uh, male-dominated unions that she worked for were as unpleasant as the general population. So it just goes to show that it's the members of unions that actually change the face of unions and that activists and people who uh, are members of unions are so important in to the character of the union fight. I think Zelda would be thrilled to hear you put it like that. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think it's actually very apt right now in the context of the continuing problem with wages suppression and the way in which that drives rising inequality. There is an opportunity right now through uh, the National Wage Review for us not just to complain about wages suppression but to do something about it based on member workers and potential union members joining in uh, not just a protest, but an effective campaign that builds the power to reverse the suppression of wages. So what's... The national wages, yeah, tell us about, about it. Towards, yeah. Well, we talked about this towards the end of last year. Just to recap on that, 
um, the annual wage review is about to start. That is the two, what is called the 2017 wage review. Uh, started late late last year with a call for submissions about what how much wages the minimum rate should be increased. Uh, the due date for submissions is about midway through March, so it's not very far away. And then the process continues to a point where there are actual physical consultations in super, supervised by the Fair Work Commission uh, that occur in May. Now, uh, the ACTU back then said that they wanted that they were going to put forward a claim that was based not on a minimum wage but on a living wage. And although they didn't specify in October, November last year exactly how much their claim would be, notionally, a living wage concept, around which is, say, about 60% of the median wage, would take minimum rates up to $738 a week. Now, that is a $80 a week increase. It is a very important concept, and whether that's going to be their exact claim is unfortunately, in my view, not known, because there is hardly any information going around about what specifically the Australian Council of Trade Unions, uh, on the basis of its constituent unions, and on behalf of all workers, not just union members, what their claim is going to be. So we are still in the dark about the, cl the claim and we are very much, I think, uh, entitled to ask, as members, what it is we are going to do to reinforce what that sort of a claim. Because there is, in my view, there does not seem to be any thought-through effort to mobilise workers in support of this very important claim, which means that we remain bogged in complaint about mm. the situation, yes. not, not moving to strategically developed action that builds the power necessary to challenge and reverse the situation. So what do you suggest? Well, uh, uh, as in back then, I think there does need to be a lot more basic education uh, and I don't mean just in classes and so yeah, on, yeah, that, yeah. Can, that, that is quite important as well, about the justification for a living wage style claim along the lines of the numbers that I've already mentioned. Now, uh, the worry, uh, now I think the way that can be done is that at least there could be targeted and, as a starting point, targeted uh, demonstrations and so on at the key dates in the whole process that build in numbers over that period to show that indeed working people are willing to co go to the streets and wherever it is feasible as the process develops to uh, take action, other forms of action in defiance of the rules. So, so what are the, the key dates? What are the key? What are the now, what's the key dates? What are the key dates? Because that's a completely well, reasonable date, thing to suggest. The first date for the deadline for submissions is March the 13th. Now, on that day, all of the union, the ACTU must have in what its proposal is for the increase. And at the same time, on that day, 
the employer organisations will be required to say what they think will be the increase. And if people remember last year, what happened was they put for the ACTU were reported as having put forward what was considered to be an outlandish amount of uh, increase. Uh, and that's how it ran in the mainstream newspapers. And then it just filtered away. So yes, what you're saying is away. that they need to take so, charge of the agenda. Yes, it, fil- it filtered away, as you put it correctly, because there was no mobilisation strategy. Mm. The, the, you see, there are two broad approaches. You either have a mobilisation strategy, and then if you don't, and this has been the method that has been used now for, a, a, for so long, this is the failed strategy. The failed strategy is that you, the ACTU goes to the Fair Work Commission with documents and arguments which... And, what, and I would suggest... Of economic it, debate. And I would suggest it, cap in hand. Well, it, it is, it is, it's not quite begging, but without mobilisation, that's what it drifts towards. And it might be dressed up as sophisticated economic argument. Uh, it's not that sophisticated. It's very good <laughs> argument, usually. It's very straightforward. It's only sophisticated if you too sophisticated for workers to understand if you don't want them to, if you don't believe in their capacity to understand it. Yeah, that's right. Or if you don't want people to understand. Use big if words. You don't want to. Yeah, exactly. yeah. What are, the so, other, uh, what are the other dates that you are on your... Because we're coming to the end of this. Tell me, what are the other dates that you think? Well, that process proceeds through either polite processes through to May mm-hmm. when there are face-to-face consultations, they call them, in the Fair Work Commission where there's argument to and fro, and where often the ACTU will pre- present uh, real workers from off the job mm-hmm. who talk about the experience of being on very low wages. It, it, it's great, but isn't that it? That goes, goes through to May. Yeah. It's not too late to have a mobilisation. International Working Women's Day is an opportunity to make a point about the uh, the gap in pay between the work that we, uh, the, the wages that women work relative to men, and connect that to the National Wage Review. That's an opportunity. I was so impressed listening to, and I don't mean to sound condescending about it, but it was terrific listening to your previous interview, where you know uh, clearly. Uh, Raw is attempting to redefine International Women's Day as a working women's international day. Yeah. And all power to them for that. But this is an obvious... It's worth thinking about for those active in that process about using the, the annual wage review to, instead of just complaining about the situation, to developing a strategy that, so that we build the power to reverse the situation. We have to finish it there, Don. In fact, it's a good uh, point to finish Uh, because it's about action and it's about positivity. All right? Good on you. Thank you very much for having me, and we look forward to discussing this and other matters as the year ticks over. Yeah. Great to hear from you. Thanks. All the best. I spent the evening with the radio Regret the moment that I let you go Has your subscription lapsed? We want you back. Spend more than the evening with us. Reunite with us. Subscribe to 3CR and get excited. 
call 9419 8377 or donate online, 3cr.org.au. And let's get back together. It'll feel so good. Yeah, you're on 3CR, Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. And uh, if you're going to use that phone number, use it between uh, Monday to Friday because uh, business hours because uh, then there will be somebody in the office to take your call uh, for subscriptions. Otherwise, go online. Uh, before I know you'll be missing Kevin. Kevin, what uh, this is the week that was. But Kevin's just gone on his annual uh, boys' weekend uh, down to Lawn, and so he will be back next week. So don't fret. Uh, and I thought that uh, because you don't getting, you're not getting the up to the minute. Uh, uh, perusal of the week, I thought I might just mention Beetroot Head and how Beetroot Head has decided that his hat would not get him through to being uh, continuing as the Deputy uh, Prime Minister or the um, uh, leader of the National Party after his uh, adventures into the bedroom. Uh, He has resigned. You will be aware of that, of course. Uh, And uh, Turnbull's gone off to America to play with uh, uh, the Trump in the sandpit and uh, left uh, the fourth in line as our acting Prime Minister, which sort of harkens back to the days when... uh, uh, Doug Anthony used to laugh and chortle about the idea that he could run the country during the summer season from his caravan in the family holiday. Uh, the um, And I thought I'd dedicate this song to Beetroot Head. Um, Kate Miller, Heinke, God's Gift to Women. Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and on the line we've got Humphrey McQueen. You've been threatening us, Humphrey, with historical materialism versus philosophical idealism. Yes, well, there's a lot of it about. (laughs) (laughs) Explain. The battle battle never goes away. Please explain. You you, you know, you think people, you'd hope they'd kind of give up believing in spooks, but the spooks keep coming back in all kinds of new forms to us. Now, last year, we spent a lot of time talking about the 150th anniversary of Das Kapital. And this year, we're building up towards the birthday boy on the 5th of May, which is a Saturday. Uh, 
So um, that's an opportunity for solidarity. So Marx was born two days before me. And many oh, years ahead. Oh, poor. Well, I, don't, I, don't know who, I don't know who to feel sorry for. <laughs> you each other's birthday. Yeah. But it will be the Saturday before May Day in Melbourne. So, you know, plenty of opportunities to do various things about that. In the meantime, um, there's a transmission from the National Theatre in London called Young Marks, which apparently, well, I haven't seen it, but it's uh, advertised as a slapstick farce. Um, set with Marx and Engels in London in 1850. So, um, I don't know what the politics oh, of Oh, those were the days. <laughs> internally, yes. But what's important, I think, is you ask yourself, how is it that the National Theatre thinks it can sell seats to a play, any kind of play, about Karl Marx? Well, it tells you something about the state of British politics, doesn't it? Yep. Just to think, you know, about the state of the British economy and politics in general and... That they even talk about Marx and class. In fact, I can remember when the, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, uh, Berlin Wall came down, there was a headline in the newspaper locally that said, Marx is dead. Yes, I know. Fabulous stuff. I know, well... (laughs) Well, he is, but he still lives. Yeah. (laughs) And we're going to try and do a bit of that today by having a look at what we know the young Marx won't do um, is to trace the intellectual development. And what I thought I'd do in the next three times we get together is to look at three elements of Marx's intellectual development in the late 1840s as as they're getting started. And we'll have a look at um, historical materialism, a bit of that today, political economy, and then just in April, um, we'll have a look at um, at the Communist Manifesto and the practice of revolutionary politics, although all three, of course, have to be tied together. But I thought we'd get started this morning. Great. And... I'm really interested in this. <laughs> well, um... And this character, um, Feuerbach. 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 Yeah. Ludwig Feuerbach. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Feuerbach's a name that people know around the left for two reasons. One of them, and the one that, you know, concerns, you know, kind of is a bit alarming, is that people read the theses on Feuerbach, which take up about two pages, and they think think that's all they need to know. Um, Now, we will get to those in a moment, but they were scraps that Marx wrote preparing to write, uh, along with Engels, what they called the German ideology. Um, now, that never got published until 1932. Um, they abandoned it. Well, there was a publisher and he pulled out and, you know, and so they, they, they just went on to other things and, and they left it but, behind. But, but, but is this an instance of uh, a great mind standing on the shoulders of others? Well, of course it is. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, and for them, when they read Feuerbach... Uh, in 1843, this was really, I mean, the world... Shattering, well, amazing. Well, you know, I mean, people had been moving in this direction. I mean, it didn't come as complete, you know, shock out of the blue. But what Feuerbach fundamentally said was, and no one had put it quite like this before, is that human beings make gods in our image and likeness, not the other way around. Ta-da! 
Fantastic. You know? um, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, if you go back to the Greeks and the Romans, there's a wonderful statement back there where one of them says, I think, well, if horses had gods, they'd look like horses. You know? <laughs> uh, so, you know, I mean, you know, so anyway, as you say... Dung beetles uh, as well. Well, yeah, well, you know... Um, for, you know, there's the story of Caligula making his god, a, you know, making his horse into a god. So, I don't know. Anyway, um, they abandoned the German ideology, as they said, to the gnawing criticism of the mice, um, <laughs> because it had served its real purpose. They said, which was self-clarification. They'd yep. worked through it. They'd argued out where where they differed from what they called the young Hegelians, the mm. other. Sort of, you know, so it became a foundation support, and they didn't I, seem to think that they needed to say it again. No. Well, they put it into practice again. I think that that's really how they said it again. I mean, it, 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 it underwrites everything that they do for the rest of their lives, yeah. as we'll see. And one point I'm arguing as to why it's important to read... I mean, the whole thing takes up about 500 pages. I really don't recommend anyone sets out to do that unless they're doing a PhD in Marxist philosophy or something. The first 80 pages, though, which are devoted to Feuerbach, I think are absolutely essential for anybody who wants to be a historical materialist, who wants to get spooks and all their various forms out of our heads. So the um, German ideology, the first 80 pages. The first 80 pages of what we need to do. Now, um, as I said, people are familiar with Feuerbach's name um, um, because of, you know, um, um, Engels wrote, um, well, well, it started out as a book review and then became 20,000 words, uh, became a very famous um, separate publication called Ludwig Feuerbach and the Outcome of German Philosophy. Um, and a lot of people have seen that and, you know, and, and it's sort of part of the general intellectual inheritance around the Marxist left. More importantly, though, unfortunately, more people have absorbed one of the 11 theses, which is the last one, which says, as everybody knows, philosophers have interpreted the world. The point, however, is to change it. Um, well, yes, it is. Uh, but this isn't a choice. No Marxist. I mean, Marx and Engels would have been appalled if anyone had said, well, you don't have to bother interpreting the world, you just have to change it. I mean, they devoted their lives. Their whole of their materialist outlook was that in changing the world, you learn to interpret it more effectively. And interpreting the world more effectively, you are able to change it in the direction that you want it to go. You don't get to interpret or, to, or, or, to, um, or, or, or just to engage in, in revolutionary activity. Both of them are part of the same thing. This is, too often, this is really you, important, isn't it? This? Absolutely central. You know, I mean, otherwise, what you're saying is that Marx wasted his life in trying to analyse how the capitalist system works. Um, all of the work that they did in explaining how the world operates at every level. All of that was part of their revolutionary practice. They never thought that, you know, oh, I'll, I'll go off to the British Museum Library and I'll write Das Kapital. I'm not engaging in changing the world. The so, two things so, are uh, absolutely essential. So what you're saying is it's not like learning your times table and then you're able to do maths. It's, no. Yeah. 
Now, right. I, mean, I mean, partly, and the, the core of historical materialism is that as you change things, you change, you change the thing you're trying to change, you change people around you, everything changes. So you have to keep on reinterpreting. You know, that, that you may start out with the perfect interpretation of how the world is, but when you start to work on the world, and we'll give a, a good example of this from the natural sciences in a moment, um, once you begin to change that world, then you need to change your interpretation. I mean, there are no absolute concepts. I mean, Marx and Engels are absolutely fervent about this, that there's no pre-existing way of understanding Everything you do, all the concepts you have about how any part of the capitalist economic system operate, as it changes, so you have to adjust those ways of, of beginning to interpret the world. So it's an endless process of change and interpretation. Changing your interpretation, you know, all of those things flow. And, and, and one of the things that I mean, Engels brings out in his 1886 uh, publication, which is like 30 years after the German ideology, he might gives you know he draws on a very important thing that happened in the natural sciences, because in 1857 a man called William Perkin made the first coal tar form of being able to make any kind of fabric into any colour you wanted. And previously you had to get things from the natural world. To be, uh, to, uh, to be able to do that. And he makes an artificial... Um, Die. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and what Engels draws on this, he says, the whole of philosophical idealism in Immanuel Kant... Was, I mean, Kant had said, yes, we can know some things, but there are many things in the world that we can never understand. These, he calls... Things in themselves is the German, well, their translation of, of the German for these things. Which Engels is diametrically says, opposed to the concept of science, isn't it? Well, it, well, well, it wasn't in the late 18th century. No, it that's right. It becomes so during the 19th century yeah. because of the ways we learn to change the world. That's right. And as Engels says, quite rightly, and I'll just quote the bit, if we're able to prove the correctness of our conception of a natural process by making it ourselves, which is, um, which is just the situation that, w that we've been talking about, if we can make it ourselves, then there's an end to the Kantian ungraspable thing in itself. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, so there's an you know, enormous change. No wonder they and, hated them. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> You know, and, and then, of course, you know, that 1857, 1859, Charles Darwin comes along. You get this whole other view that things aren't fixed and permanent categories. Um, the whole notion of some kind of evolution operating in the natural world so that, so that, so that um, the kind of song that you were playing beforehand, mm. that whatever God had made, it didn't stay the same. It kept on changing. Uh, and that was the other huge, well, that was one of the big, big challenges to the whole notions of philosophical idealism. I'll, I'll just jump in here and say, yep. uh, remind listeners that they're on 3CR and this is Solidarity Breakfast and we're talking to the wonderful Humphrey McQueen. Go on, Humphrey. Well, we're, we're, 
what we're trying to do is to channel Marx and Engels. That's what we're really trying to do. Um, and Engels said, however, a lot of these people who said they were materialists, Engels refers to them as shame-faced. They won't actually come out as fervently owned. This was true for Charles Darwin. You really would never come out and say there is no God. Um, although, you know, clearly, he, he, he didn't accept any notion of, of the standard Anglican view of the world. Yep. Now, however... That, that's um, a little bit like uh, having your foot in a uh, rowboat and on the wharf at, at the same time. Yeah. I mean, you can understand why he thought... I want to get these scientific ideas over. I don't want to get into an argument about something else. Yeah, not you know? thinking it's actually the same thing. Well, no. You know, and, you know, I mean, well, you um, can understand you know, it. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a political tactic. and yeah. So, anyway, that's wrong. So, what I'm really trying to say about this is that we have to look deeply into what Marx and Engels are saying in the German ideology in those first 80 pages. Now, um, because one of the things that... You know, if we just go back to the 11 Theses, one of them makes a very powerful point for us all as political activists. Marx and Engels say the educator must be educated. And we get educated by engaging in changing and interpreting the world, that we don't come into the world knowing you know, everything we're going to need to know in order to engage in the struggle for socialism. Now... Um, I suppose I should really be galloping on a bit. Um, there was a section I was going to talk about, which I think we might leave out for today, where the Australian philosopher Peter Singer relies on a half a dozen words out of one of the theses to launch this attack, completely wrong-headed attack on what Marx and Engels are actually saying. But anyone who wants to follow that through... Um, the um, you know, the kind of outline of everything we've been saying. I'll do a link. Gonna... I'll do a link yeah. to the paper, yeah. okay? Yeah. On our podcast. Yeah, you're going to put that up there. So let's get into the beginning of the German ideology. And here is one of the paragraphs in Marx that I just, I've, I've almost committed it to memory because um, it sums up so wonderfully how he wrote the kind of satire and irony that he brought to it and the clarity of what it means to be a philosophical idealist and what, you know, truly, what a pretty daffy idea, you know, way of seeing the world it is. Because how he begins, I was going to say, once upon a time, an honest fellow had the idea that people drowned in water only because they were possessed with the idea of the law of gravity. <laughs> if they were to knock this idea out of their head, say, by stating it to be a superstition, a religious idea, they would be sublimely proof against any danger of drowning when they went into the water. <laughs> now, and he says, that's one way in which people have of seeing the world. They think that the world is ruled by a set of ideas. Um, and... It's easy to say, oh, well, you know, I would never believe anything as silly as thinking that, you know, the reason that people are going to drown is because they believe in the law of gravity. No, 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 I would never believe that. However, sad to say, ideas like that do go charging around even people who claim to be some kind of left-winger, indeed, even people who say they're historical materialists. Because you find it. In people, I have it all the time, and I keep, you know, we've done this over and over again on the program. 
this thing of people saying all the troubles in the world are caused by neoliberalism. Well, no. Neoliberalism is an idea which is very good for the corporate for the corporate capitalist class. It is not a bad idea. It's a very good idea for them. There are only good and bad ideas for one class or for the other. So that's the first thing to say. What you're saying but, is it's not morally good or bad. Well, it's not, well, it isn't even practically good or bad. Yeah, right. And, you know, for one, you know, it's, been, it's been pretty good for most of the big corporates. Yeah. But the reason it is is not because... It, you know, because they've said, someone told them there's this, well, this wonderful idea called neoliberalism and you have to follow that. It's because neoliberalism is a set of ideas that realise their basic interests and what they absolutely have to have. And if you start with what people absolutely have to have, what it is that the capitalist cannot do without, then you can understand why at one period... And it's not going to last, as I said before, ideas come and go. And at this, you know, the last 20 or 30 years, this body of ideas and, and of the practices that neoliberalism is actually forming out there to express have been able to serve pretty well most of the big corporations. Yeah, and but this is the illusion. Change, I'll go on to something else. Yeah, yeah, this is the illusion, illusion that is the strength of the, these uh, people, the, this class, isn't it? This is yeah. the thing that normalises their behaviour. Yeah, and you know, it, it, and it gives some of their, you know, their managers and people. Oh, you know, you know, this explains the world. Therefore, I'm doing the right thing by yeah, the yeah, corporation, yeah. and, it's and indeed, and it helps to confuse the rest of us. Talk and about the, the do Theodore Adorno's quote about propaganda. Oh yeah, well, and I mean, you know. And this applies to a whole range of other ideas, you know, that this thing, you know, there are bad ideas going around the world, you know, incorrect thinking, you know, whether you say, you know, people have got these bad ideas in their head, populism or racism or mm. Islamophobia or something that's in their heads. What, or what Theodore Adorno said, talking about anti-Semitism, he said, people are not so stupid as to respond to the brazen wink of propaganda unless it strikes some chord in their own experience. So bad ideas arise from social practice. You know, um, and this is what Marx tells us about trying to get rid of the illusions that there is a God and that there's going to be pie in the sky when we die. What Marx says about this is you can't, you're not going to argue people out of that. There's no point, you know, that, you know, you might talk one or two people out of it, but the way to get people free of these false ideas about the world is the only way you can do it is to change the conditions that make it important for people to believe they're going to get pie in the sky. And the only way to do that is through self-emancipation. Uh, no one else is going to do it for us. No one's going to do it for anybody else. So, you know, there's no point in going around shouting abuse at people, saying you've got the wrong idea in your head. What we've got to do, you know, and what 3CR sets out to do and people around the left set out to do, is to alter the world and to get people involved in altering the world because only that way are we going to change the world and change what goes on inside, well, not only other people's heads, but inside our own, so that we all learn to interpret the world better through changing it. Um, so that's a very important part of this, 
But, but I mean, you know, there's another, you know, I mean, I'm going to jump over quite a bit here. But the other thing that happens, and I hear it all the time, and you know, the talk about you know, that, oh, it's this wicked thing called neoliberalism that's going around the world doing bad things, as if neoliberalism was some kind of human being that had power <laughs> act by itself. But A we God all... King. We all fall into the bad habit of what is called activating the categories. We all say things like history shows, science proves. Well, history, history doesn't do anything. Science doesn't do anything. It is, as Marx says, real living human beings who act out the history, who then write the history, um, what you know, what it is when we say that science proves scientific experiments conducted by human beings lead us to believe and to indicate and to prove, so that in our heads we're all you know in, always in danger. Um, you know, I do it myself all the time, just in conversation. You just fall into saying things like there is this totally abstract thing called history or science or even locally closer to home people say oh the accord did it <laughs> you, know, you know you say oh what, what went wrong oh it's, it's all the fault of the accord as if the accord was a person who stalked around australia doing bad things you know as well no it wasn't i mean there were real living people and we can name them we know who they were <laughs> we know why they were doing it yeah. um, and you know and that's historical materialism that's that's what we've got to try and, and work our way towards. Um, and, and the way we get there is in the very first thesis on Feuerbach, Marx uses this marvellous phrase, sensuous human activity. That's the social practice. Um, and it, it involves, as I said at the beginning, the combination of changing and interpreting the world. And we get a very good outline of this as I say, in the first 80 pages of the German ideology. Um, and when we've, when we've absorbed those 80 pages, the way to absorb them, of course, is to talk them over with other people. Um, you know, that, you know, that, that, that it's a social practice. It isn't just something that you can do in, you know, effectively, I think, um, entirely inside your own head. I mean, that's a kind of version of people thinking that, yeah, if if only you abuse yourself of the idea that you're going to drown in water because of the law of gravity. <laughs> These are social activities, learning and acting as a, as, a, as a political community. Thanks for talking to us today. Fantastic That's stuff. All right, Uncle. we'll be back next week with a bit of poli- well, next month with a bit of political economy. Thanks, mate. okay, Annie. Thank Bye. you. Bye. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Well, that's the end of Solidarity Breakfast for this week. We uh, talked to uh, uh, Jody from uh, RAW, the RAW Festival, Fighting for Women's Rights at Work, unionwomen.org.au. You can find out the program. We talked to Don Sutherland back from Cuba or Cuba, 
uh, and uh, also about the wages uh, um, case that's coming up, deadline March the 13th, the ACTU putting forward uh, the uh, idea of how much it should be increased, $80 a week. And uh, they went, went on and talked to Humphrey McQueen about historical materialism versus philosophical idealism, who don't let anybody tell you that 3CR hasn't got a varied program. Uh, Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. We're going to go out with Further Adventures of the Time by the Church. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.